welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. To open up your Bibles this evening to the book of 1 Kings. This sermon is going to correlate with our Bible reading. You know, we're going through the year of the Bible. If you have your uh, year of the Bible, we're reading through it as a church. And this is today's reading, and it's one that is very important for all of us. It's about wisdom, and we all want to be very wise. And you think about wisdom, and Solomon, the Bible tells us here, he was the wisest man to ever live, and who will ever live. God gave this gentleman, Solomon, who is David's son, great wisdom. And we're going to see a story here in the Bible where Solomon's wisdom is put to test. And I think about... you know, when you, ha- when you talk, think about wisdom, you talk about wisdom, uh, think about wise people and what they do. In many ways, what Solomon's going to do with this story, he's kind of going to put himself out on the line. And you think about stories in the past. I believe it was, um, I was reading about this story from what Ronald Reagan did on June 12th, 1987. He went to East Germany to Berlin. He went, or I'm sorry, West Germany. He was at West Germany at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin. It was right there where West Germany meets East Germany, because that's the Soviet Union, 1987. And he made a speech right there at that gate. And this is really what a lot of historians believe had a great uh, influence on bringing down the USSR. And he made a speech, and he ended it by saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Very famous. You've all heard that statement. And that was a rallying cry it was a very bold statement, and it was one that in, was very wise of President Reagan to do that because, uh, yes, the next year or so, that started to happen where the USSR started to collapse, and it, it could not make it. But he went there, and he made a very wise statement standing in the exact location of showing the, the West separated from the East. And that's something we look at President Ronald Reagan and we say he was very wise to do that. By his words, he uh, didn't even have to shoot a bullet. He was able to bring down the USSR by doing that and save many, many lives with that. Well, Solomon here is going to show some wisdom. Solomon was the next king after David. The Lord chose Solomon. Solomon had started out really well, and then tragically, we are going to see that he had a bad ending to his life. But Solomon's main goal, how the Lord wanted to use him, was he used his wisdom to build the first temple in the Bible. Solomon, about 10 chapters of the book of 1 Kings, is devoted to the building plans to the temple. And you can read all the details. The temple right there in Jerusalem, had very specific uh, building codes, what the Lord wanted. It wasn't just however you want it. There was a certain location. There was a certain uh, structure, a certain holy of holies that the Lord exactly wanted for his temple. And Solomon executed that plan perfectly. And in many ways, after the temple was built, after Solomon had, the queen of Sheba had come, the queen of the south had come to visit him, he had received all this fame, at that point, he started to fall. But we're going to see this story here in 1 Kings chapter 3 that shows about Solomon's wisdom that really uh, helped him with his 
fame being spread. And I think for us, how does this apply to us today? We want to be, in our prayer life and when we talk to God, we want to be known to be wise. We want to obtain wisdom from the Lord. And we see this um, uh, dispute that's going to come to Solomon. So uh, leading up to this point, God appeared to Solomon in a vision, in a dream. And he said, Solomon, anything you want, you ask for. Well, the Lord was expecting him to ask for long life, wealth, or the death of his enemies. And Solomon did not ask for any of those things. He asked for wisdom and a discerning spirit. He wanted to, he wanted to know right from wrong. And that spirit of discernment is what many of us need today. You need to know what is right and what is wrong. Uh, there's a lot of folks that do not know that. And this is an example of what it looks like. And the God, uh, what the Lord told Solomon, Solomon, you asked for wisdom. And you didn't ask for all these other things that other people asked for. But because you asked for wisdom, I'm just going to give you all of these other things. And he did. Solomon was the wealthiest man who ever lived. He lived a long life. And he, uh, he lived in a time of peace. But do you know what he did not have? And we're going to see this in chapter 11. We're going to turn to it in a little bit. We're going to see what brought about his fall. Even despite his wisdom, and he didn't have to fight his enemies, and he lived a long life, and he was very wealthy, he married foreign women. And that's what his fall came. He, be, he went outside God's covenantal community of Hebrew ladies, and he started marrying foreign ladies, and he started bringing their gods in. He broke the first and the second commandments that were given. And that's where... Even though he had great wisdom in his judgment, he did not have great wisdom in his relationships with women whatsoever. And then allowing them to have such negative influences on Israel, the country he was the king over. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. You want to follow along in your Bibles. Then two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, Please, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was in the house. On the third day after I gave birth, she also had a baby, and we were alone. No one else was with us in the house, just the two of us were there. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So apparently, this one lady, she, I guess, rolled on top of the baby in the middle of the night. This is why you should never sleep next to your children. Uh, when newborn babies, because you might not realize that you could roll over and suffocate them, and they die. This is why you don't put a pillow in the crib. There shouldn't be any toys at the crib. So if you have grandchildren or children, you pull stuff out of the crib because you don't want anything to happen because a little baby can suffocate very easily. So apparently this lady didn't know that, and she rolled over in the middle of the night while she was sound asleep and sadly killed her baby. Her baby died. So... Verse 20, she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your ser servant was sleeping. She laid him in her arms, and she put her dead son in my arms, so she switched the babies. Apparently both these women were, I guess, one's in one room and one's in the other, and they're both sleeping next to their babies. <clears throat> when I got up in the morning to nurse my son, I discovered he was dead. That morning, when I looked closely at him, I realized that he was not the son I gave birth to. This is a horrible story. I mean, it's just 
But through horrible circumstances, we're going to see a great wisdom that's going to be displayed. No, the other woman said, my son is the living one. Your son is the dead one. The first woman said, no, your son is the dead one. My son is the living one. So they argued before the king. So they are fighting before King Solomon over which son is theirs. One's dead, one's alive. And they're fighting over which one is the living son. Because one has passed away. The king replied, now this was a wise statement, but these are bold statements when you do this, because the king is going to have to hold to his word if he's going to do this. It's kind of like if you make this statement, Mr. Solomon, King Solomon, you're going to have to to do it. So look what he says. The king replied, This woman says, This is my son who is alive, and your son is dead. But that woman says, No, your son is dead, and my son is alive. The king continued, Bring me a sword. So they brought the king, they brought the sword to the king. And the king said, Cut the living baby in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Now, that is a barbaric answer. I mean, we all know the baby would then would have two dead babies, obviously. So Solomon, in his wisdom, he knows, he, he knows a woman, a mother, is going to want her son to live. Someone's going to break right here at this point. He's putting pressure on one of these women. Because one of them's lying, and he knows that. <clears throat> the woman whose son was alive, spoke to the king because she felt great compassion for her son. My Lord, give her the living baby, she said, but please don't have him killed. She would rather the other woman raise the baby than to watch her son cut in half. You know, If this is how it's going to be, you know, ma'am, even though you're lying, I'm going to let you raise his son. This is A mother had compassion, obviously, on her son. The other one said, he will not be mine or yours. Cut him in two. Because she knew she didn't want to raise someone else's son, knowing I had to lie to get this baby. So she's saying, kill the child. I mean, this is barbaric, but this is what's happening. So we're, in, we're on court, and this event is occurring. Everyone's watching this, including the King Solomon. The king responded, give the living baby to the first woman, and don't kill her. She is his mother. So right away, the first one who wanted to give, a, give away or say, let's let the baby live, I'll, I'll be willing to let this other lady raise it, that was the mother right there. God gave Solomon the wisdom of doing something extreme to show we're going to find out who is lying in this situation. And then look what happens here in verse 28. All of Israel heard about this judgment the king had given, and they stood in awe of the king because they saw that God's wisdom was with him to carry out justice. Solomon wanted what was right in this situation, and God gave him this wisdom to do this. Now flip over here in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 10. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in chapter 10. Then we're going to read six verses in chapter 11, because I want to show you Solomon's fall. The verses between this here was the temple. Right after that event occurred, Solomon experiences um, 
a phenomenal revival in building the temple. And they had the cedars of Lebanon, these massive trees, and huge stones come shipped in to Jerusalem to build this temple. Remember, where did the temple come from? David realized one day, there used to be where the temple should be, there was a tent, and the Ark of the Covenant stayed in a tent. And one day David realized, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he realized, why am I sitting here in this nice palace, in this nice room, with everything I want, and here is the Lord's Ark of the Covenant, the, the place of worship, it's a tent, like it's pitiful. It's over here, and here I sit in this. And David set in his heart that he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. Well, Nathan the prophet, you know, one of his uh, advisors, said, that's a wonderful thing you want, David. It's great that you want to build a temple to the Lord, but because you are a man with bloody hands, because you have slaughtered so many people, this is not for you to do. And what he just said, it says, your son is going to build the temple. And so David actually started getting the, the supplies and the, maybe the blueprints together for it, but he didn't begin the temple process. And Solomon's commission from his father was to build this temple. This was his main plan and focus of the king, of building Solomon's temple. And since then, the temple was destroyed and rebuilt but during Ezra's time and Nehemiah, but it was never rebuilt as nice as it was during Solomon's time. And one day, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation and in Daniel chapter 7 that this temple will be rebuilt during the tribulation. So this temple, from Solomon's temple also to the uh, Ezra and Nehemiah's temple, the rebuilding of the temple after they came out of uh, exile, there's a future, another temple that will be built again. And I've always said it here, if you ever turn on the news and you're seeing the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem, we are living in the end times. So we can uh, take, take assurance that this will happen again. Solomon here, in, starting in chapter 10, the queen of Sheba, this queen from the south, hears about Solomon's wisdom and Solomon's wealth. And she comes up there to look and to meet him. And Jesus actually quotes this story how great Solomon was and his great wisdom that people would come from long distances to hear about his great wisdom. And Solomon mo wrote most of the Proverbs. He had great wisdom. But look here in verse 20, 23. King Solomon, I mean 10.23, surpassed all the kings in the world of riches and in wisdom. The whole world wanted an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. And that's what God puts in our hearts. We want to pray that God puts the same type of wisdom in our hearts. Every man would bring his annual tribute, items of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. So people would pay their taxes. Solomon taxed the people heavily. He used, as the, this Bible calls, enslaved labor to help uh, do this building project. And they experienced great revival during Solomon's time. But here I want to read, starting in chapter 11, because this is Solomon's fall. Up until this point, at 1 Kings, all the way, the first 10 chapters, nothing negative is said of Solomon. He literally is perfect. Built the temple, Queen of Sheba came, he knew how to administer justice between what is right, between two 
two prostitutes quarreling over their baby. He was one who, who did every little detail of what God wanted him to do to build the temple. They held the dedication of the temple. They praised the Lord for what they were doing. But look at Solomon's fall right here. Starting in chapter 11, this is the end of his great reign. This in many ways, chapter 11, is the beginning of the end of Israel. Chapter 11 is when all of Israel falls apart because it never was restored after chapter 11. Nothing was ever the same. In fact, chapter 11, it has not been the same even till, since, since Jesus came back. Jesus is actually the next best thing that occurred after chapter 10. Solomon basically, the Bible ends a story. If you could almost trace the history of the Bible, chapter 10 with the Queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon and, and all the community sees how wealthy and wise this man is and how foreign people are so impressed with Israel. Folks, it actually ends there until the book of Matthew. Literally, after this event with the Queen of Sheba, it is truly all downhill in your Bible. So you can actually know. If you open up your Bible and you turn to, say, Isaiah or Ezekiel or Job, well, not Job, that's actually old, or uh, uh, God, these are big, I'm in the big books here. Daniel, that's a, that book in the exile. Joel, that again, a, a book of the divided kingdom. All of that's divided kingdom stuff. All these minor prophets, you turn in your Bible. This is after the fall. So Queen of Sheba occurs. Then it's just downhill until Jesus. And here's how it started right here. So I want you to follow this. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. Mobite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian, and Hittite women. From the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, and they must not intermarry with you, because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. God commanded the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they were to only marry other Israelites. That would be like today. Me encouraging everyone here says, you should go out, men, and marry Christian women. And women, you should marry Christian men. And then you come to me next week, and you say, I want to get married. This man here is a Hindu. This woman here is a Buddhist. Pastor, will you marry me to this Buddhist? Can I marry this Muslim? Can I marry this non-religious atheist? People who do not worship our Lord. And people who do not believe in Jesus. People who do not believe in the authority of the Bible. Solomon went out and married non-Hebrew women, including Pharaoh's daughter. And God told them not to. The wisest man on earth goes and does a very unwise thing. This is the fall of Israel. And he goes on to say here, to these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. And what's interesting about that, if you have the Christian Standard Bible, I want you to look at that word. In the latter part of verse 3, it uses the word, 
or I'm sorry, verse 2, it uses the word attached. He was attached. What does that mean, he's attached? Well, there's a footnote, if you notice on that word attached. Look down at the bottom. And if you have the Christian Standard Bible, your pew Bible, it says literally Solomon clung to these women. He clung to them. He literally just hung on to them. He could not let them go. And I think for us, we have to say, is there anything in our life that we're just clinging on to? That we're, we're in disobedience doing it. And part of repentance and turning away from sin is, folks, it's just letting go. Saying, I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm not going to look at that girl. I'm not going to message that person or man or woman anymore. I'm not going to call them or text them. There's no clinging to that. There's nothing. Solomon should have never been talking to these women. But he clung to them. He brought them in his palace and he could not let them leave. That's literally what the Bible says. It's like he was, today that would be like he's so attached to his phone, the internet, social media, it killed him. He just was, he loved it. And he's clung to these women. And it goes on to say, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines. And they turned his heart away. This man had a lot of ladies. And these were all princes. These, were, you know, these weren't just any old women. He either he went into other kingdoms and wanted to find their princesses and, and, and marry them. So he married the top of the best. I mean, even the women he associated with were literally the best. You could not match this man. You basically, you're going to meet this man, Solomon. You're going to have to make sure that you're a, at least a princess or a concubine. That's a personal prostitute. When Solomon was old, look at this. His wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. I want to tell you why it says old. In his early days, the man was good. He st- his father was David. He started out good. He built the first temple. He's the man. What's totally ironic about Solomon, the man who builds the temple, the man who finally did what David, the guy after God's own heart, had put in David's heart, yet Solomon was the one who built it, the central place of worship. He's the one that abandons that worship. The guy who built the place to worship the Lord is the one who actually abandoned the Lord, led the people away from the Lord. It's like he built the place to worship. Then he says, we're not going to worship there. We're going we're to do other things. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. And David was that way. Solomon followed, look at this, this is sadness, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Monites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And unlike his father David, he did not return, remain loyal to the Lord. And he even says here, in verse 7, he's building high places, that's idol worship, for these false gods of Chamos, an, an, an abhorrent idol. I mean, it just goes on and on about Solomon's a wickedness, how he's building these high places in places of worship for other women. And what, what all this means for us today, 
even despite God giving us wisdom, maybe you were much wiser when you were younger, but Solomon, despite his wisdom and his wealth and his fame and his long life and the blessings God had gave him, he did not honor the Lord by marrying the wrong people. This is why also it is so important if you have children or grandchildren who are considering getting married, you need to make sure that their spouse, their potential spouse, they are godly people who love the Lord. You need to be praying for them. You need to be praying for their future spouses, praying for their future husbands, their future wives, because you don't want to marry someone like Solomon. Solomon deceived people with his great wealth, but he just went astray. He's building, he's taking the money from tribute and taxes he gets from the Hebrew people, his, his nation, and he's building idols in high places of worship for, to foreign gods. And folks, if it can happen to Solomon, it can happen to us. Because this man's father was King David. He knew the Bible. He knew the Lord. His dad uh, uh, helped him get anointed. His, his father here is teaching him about the Lord. He wrote the book of Proverbs, which is wise statements, yet he did not follow them. Wisdom doesn't always equal obedience. And God is looking for you and I. You know, the book of James 4.17 says, so it is a sin to know what, the, what is good and yet not do it. Meaning you can know the right thing to do, yet if you don't do it, you, you haven't done the right thing. God wants us to take action on our wisdom. So what does all this mean for us today? We read this story here about Solomon. Well, this is actually the uh, starting chapter 11. This is when Israel falls apart. Everything's downhill because the kingdom's going to break up. And then the kingdom's going to split into the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And all they are going to do eventually is just have problems and then both collapse and get overtaken by the Babylonians. That's what the rest of the Bible is. And then Jesus comes and restores everything. That's the whole Bible right there for you. That's the story of God. But it started by Solomon marrying the wrong women and bringing in their foreign gods and worshiping. That is the first and the second commandment he broke. If you can't get those right, you're not going to get anything. So we say, why did God tell us we should only marry other Christians, other believers? Because he knows your heart is led astray with who you marry. That is the one most important decision you'll ever make is who you're going to marry. Shouldn't go into marriage lightly. You want to marry godly people. This morning, our 1115 service, we had a great group of young people up here graduating from college, graduating from high school. And I, we prayed for them, and we knew that they, they're about to, they need family members and church family praying for them because they're about to go on a journey when the next few years of their life, they're going to be making major decisions. Think about the major decisions you make from 18 to 30. That decides your career, that decides your family, decides who you marry. In many ways, those years of your life, 18 to 30, that will shape who you are the rest of your life. And that's why you want people in your life, just tying to this one this morning, like Samuel, who are speaking truth into your life, family members who are praying for your life, people who are giving you wise counsel. So who can you be a Solomon to this evening? God, I thank you for that. Your word is sealed in our hearts. Lord, we know stories like Solomon start out so well with him building a temple. Such a joyous time, yet he ended so poorly. I pray for us that we will be bold in our faith and that we will know that even though you've given us wisdom, we have to act on that wisdom and choose you. God, I thank you for the great things going on in our church. 
Lord, we pray this invitation, and we, there's always opportunities to respond to you. I pray we are bold in our response when we come and make it public this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have our invitation. David Dell's going to lead us in our song. Gene's going to... Uh, Gene's going to lead us, uh, leading the song here. David's going to play. So we're going to stand together. I will stand down front. You respond this evening if you will make a decision for Jesus. We have number 430.